Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Guy Fawkes to my Guy Moosey. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. <laughs> Justin, happy bonfire night. <laughs> are you are you a fan of a bonfire night? I'm not. I have a I have a, an anxious dog that hates fireworks, so that makes me anxious, makes me angry, irrationally angry at the uh, the thought of loud bangs going off okay. in nearby gardens. I think it's I think it should be illegal, for being honest with you, fireworks. Wow. I've got mm. a nine-month-old puppy. Is he nine months? No, he's even younger than that. Seven months. Um, and he does not care. We, we've had a couple of fireworks over the past couple of days. Does not give a shit. He is just oh. completely brazen to it. Look at you. Look at you. Because it is an ordeal for, for everybody. So I feel for everyone who has a anxious dog who hates fireworks, we will we will come together and we will submit a, a thing for Parliament and we will get them banned for everybody. Mm. We'll ruin everybody's weekend. Well, you, good luck with that. And um, Justin, as everyone knows, you inf- infamously always start every podcast with a good day. Yeah. And I was at a petrol station near Leicester the other day. And after I just paid for my petrol, the bloke after me walked up to the counter and unironically said, good day. Well, and you're starting a trend is my conclusion of that. It's catching on. I think everyone should greet everybody with a with a good day because a hi, hello, they're, they're all a bit bland. They don't really, they don't really fill you with... with much happiness and, and, and that, that's joy. true that's true isn't it because you walk up to a normal person hello doesn't inspire anything no. hi doesn't inspire anything good day makes you look sophisticated looks like you're from the medieval times yeah and you can say it with some aplomb you can say it with some enthusiasm and at no point does it sound creepy or weird you go good day that's you know that's someone with a lot of energy but you go hi that- that it's sounded like you were ending a conversation after making a valid point. The way you just said "good day," then it's a flexible phrase. That's what we're getting here. You can't you can't uh, make a point and then say "hi, hello," can you? But you can say "good day" and then walk off into the sunset, and then you look like an absolute boss. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I I implore you to introduce "good day." into your lives. Let's see how it goes, shall we? Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, plenty for us to talk about in the championship over the past weekend. Of course, a huge game at the King Power Stadium. We'll talk about about that very shortly. Talk about Millwall because their new manager is seemingly imminent. So more on that very shortly. And just the rest of the championship games from the weekend. We had six draws, which... (laughs) isn't ideal for <laughs> Justin and I to have any anything particularly interesting to say on those games, but we'll find a way, I can tell you that. I was having a look at the last two game weeks, and there was one draw in each of those game weeks. So for us to have six in this one is uh, quite remarkable. Like but, bloody uh, buses. Yeah, we'll have a jolly good time either way, ladies and gentlemen. So welcome along to the ride, and we'll kick things off with Leicester, who dropped points for just the second time this season after losing 1-0 to Leeds on Friday night. Georgina Ruta with the goal. Three word reviews here for Leeds from Zovic. Bodied them frauds. Catherine says, <laughs> coming together nicely. <laughs> Carl says, proved who's best. Eddie says, big statement win. From a Leicester perspective, Greg says, wasn't good enough. Hayden says, Leicester to... Uh, Leeds, rather. Leeds too intense. And uh, Justin, Leeds were just unbelievable, weren't they? We've mentioned a lot recently how we've seen more top gear wow performances from Leeds than we have from Ipswich or Leicester. And this is one of those wow performances. It really was. I mean, you know, Scoreline-wise, and I think reflection on play doesn't give you that indication, but it really was a wow performance from Leeds. And again, we're talking about top gear and Leeds were in it. I think I think we saw Fark's experience come to the fore here over Enzo Maresca. 
had to adapt his style, become more rigid, become more structured. And it worked a treat because on the counter, Leeds were exceptional. We were talking about quick um, quick transitions earlier on in the week for Leeds and how fast they can be. And Farker exploited that. They were fantastic over and over again. There was there was speed to to to, to the play and what they were trying to trying to do throughout. And I thought the midfield two of Glen Kamara and Ethan Ampadu was they were they were they were so again structured and, and, and solid and it didn't allow Leicester to really regain well gain control in that midfield. Really, really good performance. I think a little bit more composure. Leeds probably could have scored one or two more. It was one of those types of games where the balance of chances fell in Leeds' favour, just lacked the end product. Yeah, and they bullied Leicester. They really, really did. No one has come close, really, to making them look second best in a game this season before Leeds turned up and did that. And how? Everyone was just fantastic. Of course, Jorginho Ruta got the goal. Somerville and James were causing all sorts of problems. Kamara and Ampadu in midfield ran the game. Joe Roden, magnificent at the back. Probably my man of the match for me. And then even Ilan Meslier in goal was needed as well. Mm. That save in the dying minutes, incredible. And this was yet another example of Leeds being frighteningly good. And we've seen it plenty of times in recent weeks. On form, they're arguably the best side in the league, which is quite the statement considering how well the top two have started the season. Yeah, But Leeds are just breathtaking when they're in the mood like they were. Leicester, on the other hand, this was one of those games where they were still just in second gear. Now, what has usually happened this season is they've been able to get in that gear but their overwhelming quality has just been too much for the opposition. Mm-hmm. But when they meet a side with similar levels of quality, it doesn't work. And that's what we saw here because they were well below par. Yeah, they, it was a frustrating and disappointing performance because, again, you, you're looking at a team um, as a, it's a real big test for, for Leicester and they didn't really come out of it with, with too, you know, too many high marks from my perspective. And it is just one defeat. But it was a second gear performance, as you mentioned, and you need you need those types of games to learn from. Leicester have been near perfect this season in terms of results and performances have been slowly elevating upwards to where they need to be to be a you know a validated title contender slash winner. You've got to take a punch sometimes, and that's how it is. But uh, for me, this 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 was a real test, and they failed the, the first real test of the season. Not no disrespect to any other teams they've faced so far, but. Talking about Daniel Farker getting one over Maresca, he did, and Leeds uh, Leicester rarely threatened throughout the game. That Mavidi hit the bar from distance. Kennedy reward the the shot or header save from uh, Iliam Meslier towards the end of the game, and that was about it. Didn't create enough chances on the balance of the possession, and Leeds were very comfortable uh, out of possession. That's more of a damning statement towards Leicester. Well, prior to this result, I think everyone was coming to the conclusion that. Leicester will quite easily get promoted, even if we're just a quarter of the way through the season. So how much has this result upset the apple cart, Justin? Has the apple cart been slightly nudged? Is it wobbling or has one of its wheels come off, leaving apples everywhere? What do you think? I think it's more of, you know, when you get a trolley at the supermarket and the wheels jammed and it's really bloody annoying because you're trying to get a nice push on it and it just keeps snagging a little bit and it's a bit bumpy. I think that's all it is. It's just a little bit of a, a bumpy cart they've got at the moment. I think once they fix it, once they fix those issues that they faced against Leeds, they will go again. It's all about learning from the disappointments that they've had. You're not going to come against a team like come up against a team like Leeds too often this season, are you? You're going to come up against them twice. So judging by that logic, it's three defeats all season. It's not bad, is it? Yeah, they're still going to romp the league based on the the maths of uh, of what we had. But on a more serious note, I think if you ask me that same question after the next game, seeing how they react, then we'll be able to have a, a decent assessment of it. It's all about reaction and that going into that next game next week. That's where they've got to that come up. Yeah, I'm not even sure if it it's a snag on the trolley. To be honest, Justin, I, I would still be very surprised if Leicester didn't win the league at a canter. I think someone. Something would have to go horrendously wrong from a Leicester perspective for them to not finish first. Their quality just shines through so often and 95% of championship teams simply can't match it. So you've got Leeds, on the other hand, who are obviously relying on several other teams doing their favours to stop that from happening, which I just don't think is too realistic as things stand. Ipswich are the one, aren't they? If Leeds were armed with a sniper right now, they'd have much more chance hitting a tractor than a fox. <laughs> Didn't know where I was going with that analogy when I started it, but <laughs> in summary, if they're going to catch anyone, it's going to be Ipswich, isn't it? 
Well, obviously, yes, but I, I still wouldn't rule out Leeds somehow catching up with Leicester because we've seen the quality that they've got. It's just about generating consistency in those games where, you know, like the um, like Sheffield Wednesday game, like the uh, was it the Rotherham game as well, um, where they just weren't quite at it, weren't quite just, at just it. And they get eleven points behind already—that's a lot of ground to make up. Into. It's, it's a lot of ground to make up, but we're only a quarter of the way through the season. We've still got a lot of games left to play. But you're asking, a lot of points on, but you're, you're asking Leicester to drop a lot of points, considering they've only dropped six points all season, and leads to essentially win virtually every game in that time, which just doesn't seem like that's realistic. It's probably not realistic, but this is what I mean. I think Leeds have got the quality to do it, and they've got the manager who's got the experience of doing it. So why not? Again, this this, this could be a spark of a, a bad turn in form for Leicester. You can't rule anything out. They've not drawn games, not had a run of games where they've drawn. And I think Leeds have just set a blueprint on how to play against Leicester City, which might make which might make games coming up a little bit more uncomfortable because there are plenty of teams in the division that will look at this game and go, right, okay, that's a that's a smart move there, Daniel Farker. Copy and paste that one, and then get results there's a lot of if buts and maybes certainly but that's the championship Mm, I'm not sure about that myself as I keep saying the big obstacle for Leeds is just going to be consistent because assuming Ipswich beat Rotherham on Tuesday night they'll open up a 10 point gap which is huge at this stage in the season and I mean we talk about how many points Leicester have dropped so far Ipswich, Ipswich have only dropped seven points this season themselves so I'm sure Ipswich Ipswich will have the odd dip or two over the course of the season, but I don't think there'll be a massive drop-off. So whoever they're going to catch, Leeds need to produce some mad consistency for the remainder of the season. And by that, I mean this Leicester performance, essentially, week in, week out, over several games in a row. They can't afford many results like losing to Stoke a couple of weeks ago. So... That's what they've got to do. And it's a big task. But if they want to stand any chance of getting in the top two, that's what they're going to have to do because the consistency of this current top two is just frighteningly good. So it's a high standard that uh, is being set by them and Leeds have to match it or better it in this case. A 93rd minute winner from Ryan Fraser saw Southampton win 1-0 away at Millwall. Westies, three-word review. Patient, pressure, success and there are great limbs here from the traveling Southampton supporters which included James Beatty how about that eh? I, I would like to see more former players celebrating in away ends Justin yeah we do need to see more of it I think I'm trying I'm trying to think off the top of my head now if we have had any previously certainly probably has been but James Beatty was a surprise because he's quite a renowned coach within the EFL structure I know he was at Wigan I don't, he's not there anymore is he but he was at Wigan no. This time so last he, year. He's at Birmingham as well, wanting Birmingham. Yeah, the Gary Monk. Leeds as well, I think. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's again, he's, he's solidified EFL coach and he's seen in the away and he's got to love it. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. I, I just think drafting a random former player every away game. And then it's just a, a case of spot the spot the player in the crowd and then go, oh, look, it's him. Like, get Marek Saganowski in there or something like that. <laughs> just any, just any former J-E-D. Southampton player. Yeah, just really mix it up each week. I'd love to see that. <laughs> um, 17 points from a possible 21 for Southampton now. They remain fourth. And I tell you what, Justin, just talking about Leeds potentially crashing the promotion party. Don't underestimate Southampton. They could quite easily sneak in the back door if you don't keep it locked. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to sneak in the back door, isn't it? And it certainly could. It was another good display. It was a a display that, again, it's a roll your sleeves up, grind it out sort of one because they dominated possession, obviously. Um, just I'm going to go back to it, but they just like that cutting edge we spoke about so long ago. They had a lot of chances they didn't take them, but again, the key thing here is they kept going and they kept Millwall at arm's length, which is a, which is a big thing. And another thing that impressed me is Russell Martin making those small tactical changes within games to get more out of his side when they're not quite at the races. And you got players coming on off the bench making impacts like Ryan Fraser scoring another last minute winner. You know, as far as super subs go, he's, he's up there, isn't he? Um, so yeah, it's, it's another fantastic, well, not fantastic, but a good display, a good away display, a tough place to go. It's a clean sheet and it's, and it's confidence all around. Well, the thing is for me, Southampton seem to be getting better at a progressive rate. Yeah. And if that continues, then they could be an exceptional side in the uh, final few months of the season. We all know they have an unbelievable amount of talent anyway, and it's just been about getting the most out of them, knitting it all together. And Russell Martin seems to be doing that. 
they're getting more and more solid at the back. I mean, Millwall was only their second clean sheet since March. Yeah. So they're definitely making a lot of progress in that respect. I think Taylor Harwood Bellis coming in has really uh, solidified things there. The Mercedes defender. Um, there's only one point behind Leeds as well. So as long as they stay within touching distance of them, anything's possible. It's kind of like them riding in Leeds' slipstream. <laughs> yeah. Again, sneaking in essentially, aren't they? They are... Yeah, quietly going about it because I think at first glance you probably still expect Southampton to be in and around the playoffs but actually they're, they're well in there and you expect them to be because of the quality of player that they've got and they had a few bumps earlier on in the season but they rode through it they rode through it quite nicely obviously it leads to slipstream which is a which is a big big positive but they're, they're aside for me that are only going to get better because they've got quality players they've got Ross Stewart to come in I would expect them to strengthen in January as well again Mason Holgate is, is settled uh, yeah, we've forgotten about him in a good way because there was you know, quite a few high profile mistakes he's settled Shea Charles is still coming into into things as well uh, as a young player so for me they're a team that's only going to improve from here yeah yeah definitely do you think we're getting a top four forming now Justin Leicester and Ipswich still make up the top two and then you've got Leeds and Southampton a few points behind but at this stage I think I'd be quite surprised if this wasn't the top four in some order come May I know we talked before about the top three most likely being Leicester, Ipswich and Leeds in some order. At the time, Southampton were were playing very well, but have now gained ground. So what are we thinking? I still think there's a Sunderland and West Brom that might have, well, it might want to be in the conversation. Um, I, I don't think we're seeing the best of Sunderland in terms of results. That's expected. They've got a young squad. They still are without that clinical forward that they so desperately need. And West Brom are just... They just keep clean sheets and clean clean sheets. They they drag you up the league one way or another. So they're they're two teams for me that are going to be in that conversation. Mm, I'm not sure. I, I think I, I would struggle to see Sunderland, West Brom, Middlesbrough, any of them managing to break this top four that seems to be forming. I, I don't think it will necessarily be in the same order that it is now. But I struggle to just see anyone matching the consistency first and foremost, let alone the quality. I still think there's a distinct possibility that we see the same top three we spoke about before and Southampton are left in a category of their own where they're too good for everyone else but struggle to match the brilliance of the top three just because I've seen a lot more from the top three than I have from them and their promotion hopes rely on them getting progressively better as the season goes on but for me I I can definitely see a top four forming just from how things are stacked right now. Um, could all change quite quickly, but it just looks like these four are quite a way better yeah. than the rest of the rest of the division. Uh, Millwall perspective, Matt's three-word review. I think this is in reference to Adam Barrett, the caretaker. Bold Gary Rowett. Um, it's, uh, it's not going very well for Millwall, is it? Just two points from four games since parting company with Gary Rowett. They need a new manager sorting, don't they? Because they haven't played well at all under... Barrett, it's kind of like when Creed is in charge of the office, you just get the sense that the longer this goes on, the worse it's going to get. However, we might not have to wait much longer because the Daily Mail is reporting that Joe Edwards is set to be appointed the new Millwall manager, a very highly regarded coach who also worked at Chelsea and Everton. What do you make of that, Justin? It's an interesting one. I mean, you mentioned there, he's clearly highly rated considering his experience at Chelsea took over the England in the 20s in the summer. So you've got that experience of working with young players. Was on Frank Lampard's staff, which makes me a little bit hesitant. Lampard favoured a, a pressing style that was by and large poorly implemented. So not sure that's um, not sure that's Edwards, Joe Edwards' fault, but he clearly fits the criteria that Millwall are after, that front foot, front foot football. Got experience of working with youngsters and hopefully will have contacts from his Chelsea days as well. So... Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of ticks in the box. It's just that inexperience that might make me a little bit more hesitant. But if you compare them to uh, maybe like a Bristol City, for example, I think Millwall are sort of, they're in that process. Whereas I think Bristol City are at the end of the process in terms of where they go next. I think Millwall are building once again, um, whereas Bristol City want to you know, make an appointment um, to, to, to get themselves in, into the top six. Whereas Millwall want to get a manager, nurture him, get them, get them further up uh, than, than what Gary Wright delivered. I'm not sure inexperience is necessarily that much of a factor anymore, Justin, because you look at, 
I mean, I've made my feelings known about this plenty of times because if I was in charge of a stable championship club, my first appointment would be to get a young coach in like Joe Edwards because why not have a gamble? It's worked for Ipswich and Middlesbrough, getting in Kieran McKenna and uh, Michael Carrick and then Steve Cooper's another one who I cast my mind back to who was in a similar position to Edwards actually, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, he, he was in the England setup, and it's all worked wonders. I see, you're starting to see now a trend of clubs taking gambles on managers like this and it working more often than not because yeah. they're young coaches who are just waiting for their chance in management and when it comes along they're willing to give it 110% and I think Edwards is in the same category so I don't understand why more clubs don't go down this route because it just seems to make sense don't know what Edwards is going to be like in terms of a style of play I imagine Millwall fans will quite like it to be what they're used to which is direct don't know if uh, Edwards wants to go down there, but as long as he's winning games, I don't think Millwall fans will care. So I think this is a smart appointment. Could be a masterstroke, or it might not work. If it doesn't work, who cares? Millwall aren't <laughs> going to go down, are they? They just start again and get someone else in. So yeah, take a gamble on someone like Edwards. I think this is a very smart move by Millwall. It does matter, I think, for, for Millwall. Uh, I really do. Right, because... then. Let's get in someone like Dean Smith or something like that. It's just that kind of way of going about it, Justin, is so is so archaic, I think. And I think you're kind of living in the, in the past if you think we shouldn't go down the route of getting in a young, ambitious coach. Because look at McKenna, look at Carrick. You, you, you probably thought they were bad appointments. I don't think they were bad appointments. They just come with risk. And I think when you've got... Of course someone, they come Nathan with the risk. Jones. Well, that's my point. They may as well take a gamble, might they? Because he could be an unbelievable manager. He's a young coach. You got to, as I was just saying, these appointments in recent times have worked more often than they've not. Yeah, and I'm just sat on the side of the fence where I'd rather go some, for someone like Nathan Jones, who has a similar um, thought and style of play, fits the the criteria in the bill, ticks every box for me. I'd rather go for someone like him. It's just a difference of opinion. I don't think it's wrong or right. Yeah, but you're, if you went down your route, then we'd just be appointing the same managers all the time, like your Gary Rowitz, your Nathan Jones, your Dean Smiths, those kind of guys. I don't think so. I don't think it so. It sounds because... like it because you'd never take a risk on a young coach and we'd just be no, stuck I... with the same managers in the same cycle. No, that's not necessarily true. Again, I think there are, there, are times like to, there are times to take a risk and there are times there aren't. I don't think Mill will need to. Unbelievable. All the evidence about taking risks on young managers and you're still sticking with, oh, we should get someone in like Gary Rauer. Obviously, they won't get in Gary Rauer because they've just sacked him. Well, departed company with him, rather. But Kieran McKenna, Michael Carrick, and you still think that's not the way to go down. I can't believe it. Anyway, let's move on to the Sunday afternoon game, which finished Norwich 1, Blackburn 3. Norwich were down to 2-0 down after 15 minutes and the boos when that second goal went in were deafening. Plenty of chance from Norwich fans as well. Stuart Webber, get out of my club. You're getting sacked in the morning. I couldn't really tell whether it was Norwich fans or Blackburn fans, but I wouldn't be surprised at this point if it was Norwich fans. One point from six games and I think this is probably the end for David Wagner, isn't it? It, it probably should be but again you've got to feel for the guy because he's been given a, a, a daft hand and you've got nobody from the club stepping up and, and making any comments because I mentioned it in midweek who's who's running the football club I've made the joke about David Wagner being unsackable because there's nobody in charge of the of the football club I know um, Sky alluded to it Neil Adams is there as a technical director but is he going, is he going to make a decision on the future of the next manager I, I, I don't know I think your best bet is to, to get in a caretaker um, and let them see see through this weird phase they're going to be in because it's it's clearly not working. The, the players, it feels like they've not down tools, but they're not working as hard as they, they could be out of possession. Um, and these and, and David Wagner's team is just far too easy to cut through. Blackburn were good, but Norwich made them look even better. I think you're absolutely spot on there, Justin. Norwich are just an absolute shambles at the back and it's somehow seemingly getting worse. I thought the first goal from a Blackburn perspective was really good, but it was just so easy at the same time. And this is why a change has got to be made because one point from six games, this has got to be the end of the David Wagner era. It's getting into the Gareth Ainsworth territory of how hasn't he been sacked yet? Because it's getting worse and worse. There doesn't seem to be any sign that things are going to turn. And even though there's no one in charge of the club now from a sporting director point of view. Well, Stuart Webber is, but I'd be surprised if he made any massive decisions. He might have to make a massive decision because this is just so blatantly obvious that a change is needed. 
it needs to be done. And like I said, I think your best bet is to um, employ a, a caretaker because it's just not working under David Wagner for whatever reason. I do think personnel-wise there's a, a, a massive unbalance because Kenny McLean isn't your ball-winning midfielder. He's someone you, you play through. Gabriel Sara is your, is your playmaker. There's not a lot of steel in this midfield. Um, and obviously from a from a personnel uh, point of view, there's not a lot of depth in defence either. There's a lot of issues that needed to be addressed in the summer and it wasn't. Unfortunately, that goes to Stuart Webber for whatever reason. Again, didn't happen. It's just a really bizarre situation Norwich have found themselves in. You, We've mentioned it so many times. You've mentioned it so many times. We're banging the same drum. Club needed a reset in the summer. Got a bit of... It flirted with one and, then, and, and, and that was it. And unfortunately, David Wagner is now leading a team that is, is just not capable of leading, unfortunately. Yeah, he, he doesn't know how to get the best out of it. And he's thankful, he, he's, he's lucky really that he's got Gabriel Sara because if he didn't have him, I don't know where Norwich would be mm-hmm. this season. I'm not sure they would have even had that good start to the season that they had, which feels like a long, long time ago now, doesn't it? Even though it was just a matter of weeks ago. So yeah, a change has got to be made made my thoughts known about David Wagner plenty of times I think a change should be made in the summer to be quite honest so now we're at this stage where things are looking really really bad for Norwich and if a change isn't made it isn't made they could be dragged into a relegation battle and I think I agree with you it's at the stage now where you're best off just sticking with a caretaker for the foreseeable and waiting until Ben Napper comes in the new sporting director and then make an appointment then because Right now, it's just getting spiralling out of control, isn't it? Uh, let's talk Blackburn, though. Let's give them some credit because Sammy Schmodick scored twice and he is having a brilliant season, isn't he? Nine goals, now joint top goal scorer in the league. He only managed 11 goals over the previous <laughs> two championship seasons. So he is having a storming season, isn't he? Yeah, he's been brilliant. He's got nine and 15 now and two assists. It's obviously a fantastic return, but it's his work rate and his movement that are exceptional. He probably, I think this is the crazy thing, he could be more clinical. He has missed some big chances throughout this season. And I know it's a bit of a critique in what we're trying to do is, is trying to praise him, but I think it just speaks to the volume of chances that Batburn are creating and also the improvement that Samish Monix has, has had in front of goal this season. Um, he's got some spectacular goals last season, but... A lot of his goals this year have been, you know, sort of shimmying off to the left and, and coming inside and sliding into the far right, uh, far right uh, corner. And that sort of movement, that repetition, quite ironically, is something that Timo Puki scored a lot of goals doing. Um, and I'm not trying to compare them, but it's just that that that, that quality of movement is so important. And you've got creative players like Andrew Moran in the team. Tyrese Dolan was on fire in this game as well, really active. He's going to get chances. He's going to get chances, and and, and he's taken them. And it's, it's, it's a key thing. He's he's a pivotal pivotal cog in this team that I rate much much highly, uh, much more higher than than last season. Yeah, and they've had plenty of injuries as well of Blackburn. So Schmodix has had to be a bit flexible with where he's playing. Sometimes he's playing in midfield. Sometimes he's playing up front. Sometimes he's kind of a fluid false nine. Yeah. But wherever it is, he's just been playing out of his skin this season and that's why Blackburn are just so frighteningly good going forward still a bit leaky at the back but going forwards they have been irresistible at times this season Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about Bristol City and their first win since sacking Nigel Pearson as well as Marty Sifuentes' first game in charge of QPR Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Bristol City won their first game since sacking Nigel Pearson. They beat Sheffield Wednesday 1-0. Aaron's three-road review for Wednesday. Referees are useless. And I assume what he's referring to there is Wednesday going down to 10 men for two-thirds of the game after Barry Bannon was given a straight red. I can't make my mind up on this one, Justin. It seems to be quite a divisive decision on social media as well. Do you think it was a red? I don't think it was. You've got two players there. You've got the goalkeeper firstly in a good position to stop the shot and then you've got the defender who's covering as well. It's a cynical trip. Definitely a yellow card and um, whether or not it's in, in, a, in the box or outside the box is another debate but it's certainly not a red from, from me. It's not a clear and obvious opportunity which is what it comes down to. I think the rules change every day um, but yeah, definitely not a red. I think the referee will be disappointed in, in, in that decision I'll, I'll be honest. I I'm not sure I agree. I, I'm struggling to 100% make my mind upon it, but I think it's more of a red than not a red. Well, and I think that's because he was sent off for denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And why wasn't it? He's one because he had two players. Two players there. The goalkeeper and the defender to beat. Well, the goalkeeper is the goalkeeper. So it's one-on-one. But then the defender, for some reason, was behind the goalkeeper. And is he really going to affect things that much? I so think he's made, he's made the target smaller. That's that's what I'm it is. Sure it's not clear and obvious. Yeah, I'm not sure he has. I'm not sure I agree with that at all, Justin. I think by the letter of the law, it's probably the right call. Uh, I didn't think it was a penalty, by the way. I thought it was outside the box, but I I think it probably was the right decision to send him off for that. Just Bristol City's third win in eight, so a good three points for them under caretaker boss Curtis Fleming. Rumours continue to circulate around who the potential new manager could be. And have you seen the odds? on who the favourite is with the bookies, Justin. You're just throwing that little spark in there, aren't you? Because you know what's going to come next. Yep. (laughs) It's your friend and mine, old Frankie Lampard. And Justin, you're a big fan of his, aren't you? Oh, love him. He's my favourite gaffer in history of football. Of course, listeners, dear listeners, that is sarcasm through the grit of my teeth. I dislike (laughs) Lampard as a manager. So much, simply because he's not very good. Um, worst thing is he's not learned from any of his mistakes. It isolates players he doesn't want. His style of play that is heavily reliant on quality individuals is is it's just not sustainable. And if he gets you into the playoff uh, playoff final, he will not start a fucking striker. Um, as you can tell, Justin is still quite bitter about a certain playoff final from uh, Frank Lampard's Derby County days. If he does come in, at least we'd get to be on watch for any Lampard-isms like if only we sold a lad for £25 million in the summer so I can have some money to spend. <laughs> no, but seriously, where's the Alex Scott money? That kind of thing is what I'm thinking. But if Lampard gets appointed, I'll take back everything I said on Nigel Pearson. I do not get the attraction for football clubs in appointing him. I think he actually underperformed with a very talented Derby team failed at Chelsea, failed at Everton, failed at Chelsea again, and <laughs> just look at him. When he when has he shown any tactical capability to, to take a club to the next level? At the end of the day, this may all just be rumours and have no truth to them whatsoever. However, I'll be flabbergasted if they went ahead and did this. Flabbergasted, disappointed, angry. I'll be. I will have. I'll be at the picket lines with Bristol City fans because I do not want to talk about Frank Lampard on this podcast as a manager. Um, frankly, because... Oh God, I said his name again. Mainly because it would just drive me insane, if I'm being honest with you, Ryan. He's not a good manager at all. He's not a good manager. I know it's quite easy for us to say it as these armchair uh, podcasters, content creators, but the, the, the evidence stacks way against him. I think the only, the only confidence you can take from it is John Lansdowne said that the... Um, the, the bookish shortlist is so far from what they're looking at at the moment. But uh, again, I don't know. I just feel like it might happen. Yeah. 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 I, I, I can tell you're frustrated, Justin. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but I, I would be very, very disappointed if Bristol City went down this route. A decent showing by Sheffield Wednesday, despite being down to 10 men. I saw a video of the Wednesday fans chanting Danny Rule's name after the game. So on the pitch, the fans seem happier than they were. What about off the pitch? I hear you say, well, reports this Sunday morning say Dapon Chansiri has no plans to sell Sheffield Wednesday, even if they go straight back down. 
It comes after he told the fans to fund the £2 million the club needed to pay HMRC and wages. This was eventually paid by Chancery, even though he said he was not putting any more money into the club. And Justin, the thing I can't get my head around is, what is Chancery getting out of this to make him not want to sell? I mm. genuinely do not understand it at all. He's a weird guy. He's just a weird guy, isn't he? To sell the club. Clearly just gets off happy. on you yeah. know, fans telling him, that is a knobhead. Yeah, why keep thing? Why why keep something in your life that you clearly dislike and hate? It's just so toxic, uh, Dave on Chancery. You might be a happier human being if you sold the football club and got rid of this clear burden. You save so much time as well because you have a paddy every four or five weeks and tell us your life story and these ridiculous statements that are not in any way <laughs> accurate. He's just a, just an odd chap and quite clearly shouldn't be a football owner. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't be, and I don't get why he wants to continue being one. He's bleeding yeah. money and having to put in millions each month to keep things running, and he's not getting anything in return. Yeah. So is he just genuinely doing it because he loves the club? Because the club certainly doesn't love him. And I just assumed when he put out that ridiculous statement last month about him not putting any more money into the club, that that was the beginning of the end of Chancery's reign, but apparently not. And it seems ridiculous that you want to hang around when the fans clearly don't want him there. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what I mean. It's just a, such a unique and odd scenario. And he, he will quite obviously, well, not quite obviously, I think in, in my opinion, will go down as one of the worst owners we've seen in, in championship history that hasn't plunged the club into administration. Because it's yet. just, a, a, yet. there's just no love there. There's no love. There's no, there's no interest. The fans don't like you. You don't like the fans. What is the point in all of this? And I think that's a question that only Chancery can answer. What is the point? You're not making any money. Where are, where are we going? Nowhere. Well, he'll say it's because he loves the club. No, but does he? No. Why would you? Why would he? If he if he loved the club, he bloody moved to Sheffield and and follow it. You know, every every week, but he doesn't. He arrives every now and then. Um, rarely speaks to the media and. Really no, just ridiculous just I, I think he speaks to the media too much, if I'm quite honest, because that's that's one yeah. of the big issues here. I think if he genuinely does love the club like he claims to do, just sell. Because that's what will be the best for him and the club. Because Wednesday can't progress until Chancery's gone. And we're not going to get anywhere until a change happens. In a huge game at the bottom of the table, Rotherham and QPR drew one all in Marty Sifuentes' first game in charge of QPR. Uh, Kurt's three-word review for QPR, much improved, promising. Mysterious, mysterious Sifuentes says, finally playing football. Uh, it's a result which doesn't really suit either side in the fight to stay up, to be quite honest. And Marty Sifuentes says he wasn't happy with the result. He would have been happy with Elias's chair, Elias chair's goal, I assume, because that was a beauty. It was funny because you had two QBR players screaming at him to pass it, and then he power drives it into the top corner. Beautiful. And what do we think of the new QPR, Justin, on this first viewing? Yeah, there was obvious progression. Passing-wise, they were much better. They tried to play. There was more emphasis on being a little bit braver, especially getting into the final third. It looked like there was work done on the training ground to get the team playing forwards. Missed some big chances as well and conceded a poor goal. But I'd say the blocks are solid under Sifuentes. I think they'd be he'd be content with the performance, but not the result in in terms of. I mean, he's only had a few days with the team, so to transition their style of play as heavily as they need to, uh, I think he'd be quite quite content with where things are going. Similar similarly with QPR, I was content. Be nice to see them progress. Yeah, and he's only been there for three or four days prior to this, so I don't think we can really judge anything on this game at all but you can see they have more of a game plan than they did under Gareth Ainsworth yes. to be fair any semblance of a game plan is probably more than what Gareth Ainsworth had to offer I still have my concerns about the appointment but this new manager is definitely going to be much better suited to the likes yeah. of Elias Chair and Chris Willock without a doubt and see so getting a tune out of them has to be the priority because they're easily the most talented players in this QPR squad probably some of the most talented players in the bottom four or five teams in the division yeah. so that would be a very good start but a lot of work to do to give them a chance of staying up without a doubt Birmingham got their first point under Wayne Rooney they drew two all with Ipswich in what was probably the coupon buster of the weekend uh, Birmingham forwards three word review two points dropped and that's because Birmingham are 2-0 up here and should have won this if it wasn't for two late goals from Marcus Harness so strange because it would be disappointing that they dropped the lead but they would have taken a point before the game. Yeah. So 
I see this as progress, ultimately, Justin. It was definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, I think what it came down to is Ipswich showed that why they're on top, why they're, why they're where they are. First off was a massive improvement on the first three games under Rooney. And definitely we saw Birmingham at their best. They pressed hard. They got players forward and forced Ipswich into a lot of mistakes. But second half just shows you there's a there's a lot of work to do. And I think that drop-off meant Ipswich smelt blood, took the onus and, and went with it. But one other point I want to make is Jay Stansfield looks like the comedian Carl Porter. You know, the guy who did the slow motion celebration. The oh, resemblance yeah. is uncanny. It's quite staggering, really. Yeah, I can't really remember who Carl Porter is. Carl Porter is apart from that one video that was on everyone's timelines for like two days, and then I've never heard of him again since. But it's it's a good shout, Justin. I think Jay Stansfield has been excellent yeah. since Rooney's come in. He's been one person who's definitely benefited from this probably the most, actually. So while it's not been a great start for Birmingham in general, Stansfield is definitely someone who is enjoying life under him. One thing I am concerned about is I saw a lot of similarities to Wayne Rooney's derby and that similarity in particular that I'm concerned about is them sitting back and inviting pressure yeah, after yeah, going 2-0 yeah. up. Yeah. It had very mixed results at derby and led to them dropping a lot Good of point. points. But look, they've become just the third team to take points off Ipswich this season. So before that, they looked miles off winning a game. So for them to be 2-0 up against one of the best teams in the league is... A huge positive. So I think Rooney is finally getting somewhere with Birmingham. Period reviews here from Robert on Ipswich. Comeback Kings again. James says Ipswich are human. Uh, it was interesting to hear Kieran McKenna say after the game that he planned for Birmingham to drop off. So not as in, only is he a tactical genius, he's also Mystic Meg. Um that comment. Mystic Ken. Um, <laughs> but it is just the third time Ipswich have dropped points this season, which is just a mind-blowing record. They've conceded quite a few goals recently, though. Two clean sheets in seven. Ten goals conceded in that time. Could be a lot better. West Brom made it three wins on the bounce by beating Hull. 3-1 Andrews. Three-word review. The return of Grady. And John says, Corboran masterclass. Another cracking win for Carlos Corboran's boys, who continue to look very good. And I keep saying they're going under the radar so much so that they can't keep going under the radar because I keep saying it so much. But I think they're looking more and more like the real deal, Justin. They're coming into it at the right time. Players are hitting form as well. We mentioned Grady Dean Garnery midweek, back two assists, and it was a menace of a hole. He's crossed for Ajayi. was a player of confidence, and you've got several players of confidence. But again, what impressed me here was West Brom's press. They showed showed that with the the forcing um, Jean-Michel Serri into that error in the in the, with the for, for the first goal. They're very good at controlling games without dominating dominating possession. There are ways to dominate games, and Corbran is a master of football without the ball. And that can be the catalyst for a top six push and a top six finish. Um, and you just wouldn't rule it out because they're just very good, very efficient uh, defensively. They're a very unique side on the court run. Yeah, and they're one of the best teams defensively in the division. Six clean sheets in eight games now. And I feel like they're much more likely to get a top six place if they're extremely solid at the yeah. back. And that's why I think there's lots of parallels here with this West Brom team and Corbrand's Huddersfield because that defensive solidity and just being efficient up the other end. I think the main difference between those two teams is that he's got better players at his disposal now. Sure. Of course, Huddersfield had a lot of talent in that team, but I think that was mainly down to the manager getting the best out of them. Now Corbrand's doing it with players who at various points have been some of the best in the division. Yeah. In the last few years, a key, a key example of that is Grady Dean Garner, who looks reborn. We're witnessing the redemption arc of Dean Garner in front of our very eyes. But getting the best out of these players is a lot easier said than done because a lot of them have struggled for a while, particularly Dean Garner. And that's why what Corbran is doing is so special. So how realistic a possibility do you think top six is for them, Justin? Like I said, I'll bang this drum again about keeping clean sheets, being defensively strong. That gets you such a long way in the championship. And as long as you can control games about dominating possession, um, dominating without possession, I think that's going to stand them in good stead. So for me, I mentioned West Brom possibly knocking on the door in the top four. Can't rule it out because they've got quality. They've got Dow DK to come back in. I think the only thing that could hold them back is the ownership problems. You know, if they've got to sell players in the in January to make ends meet the rest of the season that that can be the that can be the um you know the the, the harmful aspect to West Brom top six push um but as long as that sails relatively smoothly I would I would place them quite comfortably in the top six 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't say quite comfortably. Still very early days, long way to go, but they're certainly well in the conversation. I think one issue is it looks like we have a top four forming already. So you've potentially got just two places being fought over by quite a few teams. Whatever the case, I've been very impressed recently with West Brom and there's certainly one to keep an eye on. Start of the season, I would have given them very little chance of getting in the top six because of the issues off the field and the fact that their squad actually looks weaker compared to how it was last season. So for them to be at this stage right now is pretty remarkable. Game of the weekend came at Home Park where Plymouth and Middlesbrough drew three all both sides taking the lead at some point in this one and it was just a cracker two very enjoyable teams to watch and both very good going forwards a beautiful goal by Finnazaz. that was the best of the bunch a lovely finish curling from outside the box good to see Josh Coburn get on the score sheet as well he's had a bit of a mixed time in front of goals so he's someone I want to do well because I rate him quite highly uh, did you see Plymouth owner Simon Hallett has been speaking to the BBC this week Justin he says he's aiming for the club to be at a top six championship side by 2028. Will they do it, Justin? I think so. I think maybe they can do it before then. Uh, the, the, the structure off the pitch is fantastic. They invest in the right players, the right ages. Um, and then they're, they're a club in a good position, I think, to be competing for a place in the Premier League at some point this decade. I know it's a long way, about seven years till 2030, but I just wouldn't rule it out because, again, the best-run clubs, they tend to rise amongst all the... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the analogy, the dirt, but that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Because I wouldn't describe championship clubs as, as that. Um, but you get my point. The best run clubs cream tend to rise to, to the, the top. top, is what you're trying the, to say. Yeah, they're the cream. They're the cream amongst this milky beverage that we're talking about here. Okay. It's the championship. Um, I, th- I think the key thing is how they respond to losing assets. They think probably inevitably going to lose the likes of Bally Mumba, Morgan Whitaker, Mike Cooper, because big clubs are going to come in with big money. It's about replacing those and getting a structure in place to replace those. Steven Schumacher too might, I imagine, might move to a club with lofty ambitions at some point. It's just about replacing those and making sure you stay on track with your plan. Luton have done it. Um, Coventry looked like they were doing it. Uh, Brentford have done it. You know, teams the, the teams can do it. Um, it's just about you know, sticking sticking to your plan. And clearly got one. Yeah. Well, I think top six by twenty twenty eight. I I would happily bet on them to do that because. I'm a big fan of clubs which are very smartly run and we've seen Brighton and Brentford look how they're doing in the Premier League now. Luton got there eventually. It's obviously not going too well for them in the Prem, but still um, they've got there because they're a very smartly run club and Plymouth seem to be the next in this kind of heritage of just brilliantly run clubs. And eventually if you're well run for a consistent period of time you will get there eventually I did see Hallett say that one issue is resources which is understandable but I mean look Luton didn't have massive resources and if they get money for the likes of Whitaker, Mumba etc then they could be swimming in it swimming in it it's just about replacing them and their recruitment has been absolutely spot on yeah. over the past couple of years and that is, I think recruitment is increasingly becoming the most important thing to get yeah. right in football and that's why Plymouth are just where they are now a club who I have no worries about getting relegated at all and are just on onwards and upwards on in this kind of football pyramid and will get to the top six I'm sure in the next few years and I won't rule out the Premier League before uh, the end of the decade I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that Justin Preston ended a run of seven games without a win by beating Coventry 3-2 Anthony Taylor was refereeing this one. He was uh, demoted after a controversial penalty in the Newcastle Wolves game last weekend. It's the first time he's refereed at this level since 2019. How about that? Oh, throwback. Still? Love it. I, I don't really have an opinion on it. It's just been demoted. just thought it was way. interesting, you know, because Anthony Taylor's probably one of the most recognisable referees in English football now. And here he is dipping down to the championship. Why not? But it's a much needed result for Preston and Ryan Lowe, isn't it? Justin, you like your big lumpy strikers don't mm. you so I assume you're a big fan of the Montenegro and Militina Zmajic absolutely because he took his goal brilliantly it was an emphatic header I know the marking wasn't great but he's, he's settling in well he's got five goal contributors now in 10 games which is a decent return for someone who's um, coming into a new country came quite late in the window as well so there are big positives there and we've been crying out for a um, an effective number nine in this Preston team and he's, he's playing dividends because they've, they've got a good player on their hands or what looks like a good player so yeah, he's, he's, he's a powerhouse. He's, he's, he's got quality. It's just about getting that consistency out of him and the, the slowly doing it and obviously getting supply into him as well. It's going to help. Yeah, and I think 
is he their club record signing? He's, they definitely spent a fair bit of money on him. So when Preston do that of all clubs, because Preston mm. are very infamously tight with their purse strings, when they do that, you know he's got to be a very good player. And I think he is from what I've seen so far. I think Frokia Jensen's another one who I've been very impressed with. I'm surprised he hasn't played more really under Ryan Lowe, but that's something that's been a bit contentious among the Preston fan base. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Osmajic from what I've seen so far. He's just a focal point in yeah. T for Preston. Three goals so far. And think about it, Justin, when was the last great strike? Well, who was the last great striker that Preston had, who they actually owned? Because we've had Archer and Cannon in the past couple of seasons, but I can't remember the last really good hitman that they've had. I mean, yeah, had Jakobsen, but he always oh, got injured once he? and he always used to score in fits and spits and spats didn't he really yeah. Neil Mellor Kevin Davis was there Gosh, Joe Garner back a long time now aren't you Dave Nugent I mean, Nugent maybe <laughs> Chris Brown John Parkin I mean, Beckford scored a few goals didn't he no I don't think he did actually <laughs> yeah no, Joe, um, in the league one yes um, trying to Joe Garner Joe Garner you, you, at championship level whatever the case it's been a long time since we've had a consistent hitman for at Preston, so as my itch may be the answer and could write himself into Deepdale folklore if he uh, lives up to expectations. Is four losses on the bounce now for Coventry. I assume we still think the results will turn soon. I did see a stat um, about big chances being missed by strikers and Matty God and Hadji, Hadji Wright and Ellie Sims were all up there, um, which tells you of the issues in front of goal. I know Hadji Wright took both his goals relatively well, but he couldn't really miss them because they were open goals. But he's in the right place, which is, which is positive. Defence wants it because three goals conceded. They were not very good at the back at all. And no. I could just see it now. It's April, Coventry are 10 points from safety and we're still saying they will come good. I promise they it's will come good. Positions, uh, league tables upside down. Yeah, it's a false position, I promise you. Oh, please sort it out, Coventry, Jesus. Huddersfield v Watford ended goalless. Kieran's three-word review was fucking dreadful. Uh, this game was appalling, just really, really bad. Uh, I rewatched the highlights just Ooh. to refresh my memory uh, for this. And the only highlight they had for this was a Spreer shooting from a ridiculous angle yeah. from outside the box and it being comfortably saved by uh, Nichols in the Huddersfield goal. That's as good as it got in this game. Uh, we haven't spoke about the Hornets in a while though, Justin. Do you think they're making progress under Valerie and Ishmael? Unbeaten in five, but they are drawing a lot, aren't they? It doesn't feel like it. Um, they've been pretty, I wouldn't say woeful, but what's, what's just just before Woeful, they've, they've been that since he signed his new deal for whatever reason. It feels like there's a bit of curse on that contract because you expect them to kick on. They, they haven't. It feels like the intensity has dropped in games. Decisions in games from Ishmael aren't, aren't where they need to be. It's been pretty disappointing. I saw that um, Lauser, Tom Ince and Reece Healy were all on the bench yesterday, which is a, is a surprise because there's three three players there who can, who can be the difference maker in games that didn't have a lot going on uh, like this one. Yeah, and I think it's an important point you made there because they just seem so flat going forward. I think they've been great defensively. The underlying data has been really promising for them at the back. And I think Wesley Hoyt in particular is an excellent player going forward. So they are not exciting at all. And it's something that's really got to be sorted out if Watford wants to start climbing the table. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon, does it? Swansea nil, Sunderland nil. Swansea were down to 10 men for two thirds of the game. So a good point for them in the circumstances. It was a very good 0-0 in general, actually, compared to the previous game. Both keepers in great form. And uh, Stoke v Cardiff also ended 0-0. Kieran's three-word review for Stoke. Shaky but solid. Can you be shaky but solid? It's a bit like, like a jelly, I guess, isn't it? You know, if you've got a good jelly, a good sturdy jelly, it's, you can shake it and it wobbles, but it doesn't go anywhere. What was a good sturdy jelly? Have you never had a good sturdy jelly before? No. Well, you're missing out, Ryan. Come on, get yourself a good sturdy jelly for your dessert this afternoon. And Liam says sloppy but solid. So kind of the same thing, really, I suppose. Let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who would you rather have at your club? Carlos Alcaraz, Jack Clark, Steffi Mavididi, Vicencio Somerville. That's really hard. That's mm. an impossible question. Um, I mean, they've all, got, they've all got their own qualities, but if I'm basing it on what we're seeing this season, probably Jack Clark. I'd probably go Somerville, I think. I think Jack Clark's been my player of the season so far, but I think Somerville is probably the better player just on, you know, previous Premier League class. Affect you a bigger fee. 
And that too. Uh, 38% of people said Jack Clark. 34% said Somerville. 17% said Mavadidi. 11% said Alcaraz. I think Alcaraz has been a bit hard done by there. Um, who would you rather have in charge of your club? Joe Edwards, Nathan Jones or Gary Rowett? Oh, we've had a heated debate on this one already. I'll go Nathan Jones. Actually, I'll go Gary Rowett. I'll fly the flag. Oh, okay then. <laughs> That's very out there. Thirty-seven uh, percent of people said Edwards. Thirty-five percent said Rowett. Twenty-eight percent said Jones. Really? And finally, do you like? Well, that's what the public have wow. said just now. I'm not going to argue with the public. They're always right. Um, debatable. Uh, do you like fireworks? Is the final question we've asked. Yes, no, or indifferent. Yeah, fireworks can get in the bin along with Frank Lampard. There's no place for them in the world. Forty-one percent said no. 35% said yes, 24% said indifferent. So there you go. And now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin's going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, I would say Villa, that's one down, Newcastle, another down. But if I would say Weymouth, I would lose a life. So all I need to do is get all eight answers without losing all my lives. Justin, how many lives am I getting? Uh, you're going to get three. Three. Generous. And what's the question? The question is topical. Dave Wagner's on the cusp of losing his job at Norwich City, potentially. So I want you to name Norwich City's last eight managers, permanent managers. We've done this a lot recently, and we're just picking a random club and asking for the last eight managers. Yeah. But I'm all for it. It's a difficult one. It's a last eight one. managers, okay. I mean, Daniel Farker was there for ages, but I'll start off with Daniel Farker. Mate, he's correct. He's second in the list. Are we including David Wagner, are we? No, but he's second in the list. We're not including David Wagner. Oh, yeah, Dean Smith. Bloody the hell, I forgot about him. There's two. He's the latest Dean Smith. Uh, Alex Neal. Correct. He's third in the list. He's third. Wow. Yeah. God, it feels like ages since he was at Norwich. Um, well, Hewton, I'm guessing, must be on there. Correct. He is one, two, three, fifth in the list. Fifth. Ooh. Okay. Uh, Who's the bloke, the technical director? Because I think he was in permanent charge, but I can't remember his name. I've said his name today. I know. Uh, I'll come back to him. Was Hoddle there? That was feels like that was a long time ago, I think. <laughs> he, he wasn't, but I know your line of thinking. Oh, Rhoda. Yes, <laughs> Glenn Rhoda. He was there. He's, he's, first, well, he's last on the list. So that, that goes back to 2009, I think, 2008. So I've lost a life. Um, 2008, he was there. So Paul Lambert's been in charge since then. Correct. He's just before Hewton, so he's sixth on the list. So you've got two remaining. Difficult. I cannot recall what that bloke's name is, the technical director. He, he wasn't want, there Do you want, long, do you want a clue? He? Sounds like a HR director. No, I'm not sure I'm going to get this. Um, who was the other one? He was bef between Rhoda and Lambert, wasn't he? Yeah, it? yeah. Brian Gunn? You've got it. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's a and shout. It's just, it's just the last bloke, is it? It's just the, the last one that I've said today. And if you get him, it's a really good go. I know, but I just cannot remember his name. Um, when you say it, I will kick myself. Yeah, yeah you, you will. I, I literally I saw him on the telly earlier yeah. when I was watching the game. We want to hear the thump of you kicking yourself, by the way. Everybody does. I don't think I'll kick myself that hard. It would just be a disappointed sigh. Go on, Justin, just put me out of my misery. Just just say names, because I reckon you could get it if you just say names. Um, Philip Masterson. No, that's incorrect. David Humpledink. Close, but you're wrong. Donald Copswallop. You got it. Have I? No, unfortunately not. Neil Adams. God, what was Neil Adams. Such a boring name. HR director. That was a yeah. big clue. I would have never got that. That was hard. <laughs> yeah, I think I did well there to get seven, to be quite honest. So I'll take seven because I would have never remembered Neil Adams That's a good, that's a good effort. That was a tough Thank list. you. A really tough I list. appreciate it. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been Simon Grayson, Take for Late. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again 
on Thursday to talk about all the latest news in the championship. We've got Ipswich v Rotherham as well in midweek, which is a rearranged game from a couple of weeks ago. So we'll talk about that as well. And some previews of next weekend's games too. If you wouldn't mind taking a couple of seconds of your time just to give us a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to us on. Helps us go a long way to grow as a podcast and we will be eternally grateful for that. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dukes. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.